Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm Mark Ronson, and this is the Fader Uncovered podcast. In this interview series, I'll be speaking with some of the most influential and groundbreaking musicians in the world, from genre-defining stars to avant-garde trailblazers, about their lives and careers. Each episode will be rooted in these musicians' iconic Fader cover stories, an institution that over the past two decades has told artists' stories like no other. The podcast is a chance for us to talk about the past, present, and future, reflecting on their breakthroughs, diving into their lives when their covers hit shelves, and discussing what the future might hold now. And it's an opportunity for me to speak to some of the artists I most admire. This is The Fader Uncovered with Mark Bronson. Today, my guest is West Coast OG and hook lord, Ty Dollar Sign. Although it may feel premature to call someone who's only been smashing the game for the past 10 years or so an OG, the pure volume of this man's output kind of requires it. He's had a lifetime's worth of hits since he came onto the scene with Tutin and Buddha with YG in 2011, and with his true coming out party in 2014, which included the club staples Orna, Paranoid, Loyal, Ty, along with his boy DJ Mustard, changed the very sound of hip-hop and R&B at that time. Super stripped back production, usually with the finger snaps, a killer beat, and a bass synth sound borrowed from 90s club music. See Robin S.'s Show Me Love. And then with no less than Ty's brilliant earworm hooks bringing the whole thing home. With the slightest bit of autotune on his voice, he sounded like a soulful cyborg or something, nonchalantly serenading the entire club. I remember DJing in 2014, from New York to Tokyo and definitely Vegas in between, those songs would tear the club up. Around this same exact time, Ty appeared on the cover of Fader issue number 92, and the title of the excellent piece, Life of the Party, written by my old friend and EVR compatriot Juliana Escobedo Shepard, well that pretty much sums it up. Here was a man who had been working very hard for 10 years behind the scenes waiting for his break, and he was going to enjoy this moment for all it was worth tearing the club up, and then the after party. But behind all that was also an exceptionally talented producer, musician, and arranger. I've jammed with Ty before. He can jump on anything, drums, bass, keys, whatever, and kill it. And his love for everything from Earth, Wind & Fire to Patrice Russian to Chicago House is a big part of what makes his stuff so versatile and musically rich. As well as writing and guest starring on iconic huge hits for Post Malone, Kanye, SZA, Kalani, etc., etc., he's put out a ridiculous amount of good music on his own, including the now classic Beach House mixtape series, his Atlantic album Free TC, and most recently, some great collab records, one with Jeremiah, titled Mai Tai, and another with OVO's Division. You can tell this man is in a constant state of creating. He literally couldn't even sit still during our interview over Zoom. It starts out in his studio, pretty soon he's walking all over the house, lighting a joint, and we'll end with him outside in his garden, talking admiringly about his teenage daughter. 
There is obviously no point in asking Ty Dolla Sign to sit still. You just roll with him wherever he's going. Hello, by the way, officially. It's good to see you. I thought seeing that we're really using the Fader cover story that you had from 2014 as kind of the jump off point for this article, I just wanted to actually show you this and ask you if you remembered anything about this picture or that shoot or what it was like when you first saw it. Because I imagine it was one of the first covers that you had, right? Yeah, that was one of the first covers. I remember that day for sure. It was uh, a very long time ago. <laughs> yeah. And then this is a great picture, too. This is you and YG, and I don't know who the other people are. Oh, is that at my grandmother's house? It looks like my grandma's house. Yeah. I mean, we all know a lot of the story and the background up to this point, but that really was the breakthrough moment, I guess, 2014, because you had paranoid, loyal, or not. Like, I actually remember it because I had been in a fucking cocoon making my uptown special record for two years and i hadn't dj'd or done anything and i suddenly came out 2014 and i was like okay and i think i wrote to ross one or some dj that i know i was like can you just send me all the new hot shit because i have to dj in vegas this weekend and literally every record was you and i really wasn't that familiar and, and i was like who is ty dollar sign like i just remember there were every like the entire set you brought back a certain tempo. I guess it was you and Mustard together, but can you talk a little bit about what that feeling was like? Because it was, must have been like the biggest coming out party in some ways, just going from sort of zero to 3,000. Yeah, uh, I guess it kind of looked like zero to 3,000 from the outside. But for me, I had been doing music and, you know, learning all the instruments and having groups and shit and just trying all different types of ways to like get my music out there. And then finally around 2010, we had tooted and booted me and yeah. YG and we kind of hit. And then like you say, 2014 was when it really was out there. And like, of course, when I got that fader cover, I really felt like I was doing something. It's like, wow, we, we hit a cover. And then after that, there were more. So it was definitely a great time. And as far as like, coming with a new sound, that was even better. We didn't come out following something someone else did. It was like we had our own thing, our own sound, our own genre even. So it was definitely like hard work paying off. Yeah. Tooted and Booted came out in 2010. And then Mustard's first big record, Rack City, is actually 2011. So you're already doing the snap you had had a hit that you had produced with this sound, and, and you even talk about it that Mustard talks about you gave him his first sample pack, and then you talk about how Mustard was the one who told you to simplify stuff. So it sounds like there was this amazing relationship between you teaching him, him teaching you, and you both kind of finding this thing at the same time. Definitely. Like I say, I come from being on some musician shit, learning the bass, the guitar, keys learning how to like write string parts, learning how to do it, all that kind of shit. So when I got to uh, getting in the lab with Mustard, which before I even knew he was into doing beats, he was just like our DJ. He would always be like, yo, you don't got to put all of that in there. You should just like simplify it. Like we only need this and this and that. That is done. The beat is done. And I'm like, what do you know, bro? Right. <laughs> but, you know, what he was saying was right for certain things, you know? It definitely changed my life. 
I love Tooted and Booted actually because I hadn't listened to it in a while and it, it's got the sample in there like the soul sample but then mixed with the snap and then that was something obviously the sound changed and got a little bit more electronic after that but it's a really amazing synthesis of probably like the influences of where you came from and where you're about to go that's why it's really interesting to listen to that now appreciate it man what do you think it was like because it's true I, what you just said about mustard just being like yo what do you know like because i'm fascinated as well because mustard just had such an incredible run as well like from rack city to now to roddy rich and all the records like that's 10 years like in hip-hop it's like dog years that's like a hundred years of relevance in any other genre because hip-hop is so quick to like change styles and the biggest producer today in two years can be hardly working and what do you think that having worked so closely with him what is it about his i think not only is he just super talented but being a dj i think that was a cheat code as well and actually being in the streets and in the culture he just applied that to what he was doing and it worked and he just kept on getting better and better this whole last 10 years it wasn't just like he stuck to one thing and another thing i will say about him that i love and respect a lot is during that time there was a lot of people that were like oh okay i could do this like try to make it some type of battle thing but we just stuck to what we were doing and advanced it little by little step by step and we're still here so yeah i love that as well it's true there's something when someone does something with a, a lot of simplicity and people say that they'll walk into a museum and see like some 50 million dollar painting on the wall that's just like a piece of of white and blue solid color next to each other and go like i could do that but it's like but you didn't you can try and do that but it's just it won't be the same it's like when you have the people who either originated or, or there's an x factor in there i feel like yeah the other thing when i first heard the records you guys were putting out the early ones for me because i'm older and i've been djing in clubs since the 90s and when i started playing in clubs in new york you had to i was a hip-hop dj but you had to play show me love and know some of the classic house records and have 30 minutes of that music i was instantly like whoa like these guys have just brought back all the kind of cool kind of ominous electronic sounds from like the house music that i remember from the 90s and you've actually talked about house music being quite a big influence on you when you started out how did you kind of get exposed to that i feel like just living in la back in the day we had 92.3 the beat and we had power 106 and during like my middle school years i remember 92.3 was more r&b and hip-hop and then power 106 was more hip-hop and house yeah. So I would get to hear a lot of house music and some of it I hated, you know, the more techno vibe. Yeah. Then some of it I loved. Like like you said, Show Me and those are gang of songs. We could go, yeah. you know, for hours. But as far as Mustard knowing about it, I'm not sure how he got into it, but I was loving the fact that he knew. Like I said, even before he gave me Paranoid and, you know, he got into the Show Me sample for Jeremiah. I did Cabana, which I sampled Skrillex and Zed. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it was like we were both there in that world. It was dope how he did it, dope how I did it. It reminded me too of like the first time I heard Yeah by Little John. It was just like he took the most aggressive sounds from like, I think it might have even been like the Korg Triton or like the keyboard, but just the noisiest ones like that really were only being used by house and then brought it with like the crazy drums and it just... I mean, it was one of the biggest songs of its entire era, you know? Sure. 
He's definitely a genius, man. I'm trying to think now, and excuse my ignorance if I don't know, but have you ever done a straight house record, or or like have you ever been tempted to do like a, the house tempo? Yeah, uh, the first album. I can't even remember what the song is called. Fuck, I will have to look it up. I remember the interlude before it, and then my brother was like, "Man, you do everything, bro!" Like da 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 da. Yeah, I'm, I've definitely done hella house songs on the newest album. I got like a house influence song, Ego Death, with me, Skrillex, and Kanye. No, I know. I love that song. And and then before that, Fade with Kanye. Of course. That's definitely house. Yeah. I got those, a lot of house records for sure that I haven't released as well. Those records are so great. Like as a DJ, a record like Fade is just like when you have to go and play, because I've I never really DJed EDM and I'm not, it's just, it's not my thing. But when you have to go and play like some club in Ibiza and you're like looking out, you're like, how the fuck am I going to play my kind of music and make these people feel like they're having that energy? Like that's what that whole run of records and Fade and all that stuff was like the DJ's best friend. Because I could play hip hop and not feel like I was selling out, but I had these records that just like shook the club and then were familiar because they felt you know they felt kind of housey and stuff like yeah i guess i didn't really know this about you that you did a whole stint living in new york and in brooklyn like early on when you was kind of trying to break out and i was so curious i was like damn what does like a tie dollar sign like in the winter in new york look like like were you just like did you have the huge fucking coat and uh were you did you go full new york yeah, bubble jackets, Timberlands, you know. Um, I hated it, though. I couldn't do it. I love New York. It's one of my favorite places. It's, it's like L.A., New York, Miami, Atlanta, Chicago. But New York is like second home type shit, you know. That wintertime, man, I remember the second winter that I was there because I stayed 07, 08. The second winter, I was fucking about to go back to L.A., and I was headed to the airport in this cab and then it was snowing and shit. And the, just out of nowhere, just, I don't know where the fuck we were. He was just like, yo, get out. Whoa. I'm like, what you mean? Like, take me to the airport, da, da, da. He pulls out a strap on me, what? turns around like, get out. I'm like, all right, I'm out of here. What the <laughs> like, yo, this shit was crazy. After that, I'm like, all right, I'm moving back. Wow. Like, that's it. <laughs> that's really like almost like out of a movie like if somebody i mean i i hate that this fucking assholes like ruined your new york experience but obviously since then you've been back and i'm sure you've had a great time but yeah i still love new york like i said it's one of my second home type shit who were you around while you were in that time i know you had to connect with 50 cent who who was your other creative crew in new york did you have other like a, a clique that you were working with even at that point yeah, uh, back in the day, I had another group I was doing called Ty and Corey. And we were working, like, really from 04 to 07. And we put out one tape on, I don't remember what, MySpace? I don't remember what was going on at the time. Yeah. But we put out one thing called Ron Banging. And then we did a Ron Banging 2. And that's when I started working with Timberlake and Will I Am and this other dude, Venus. And once I got that situation with them, that's when we moved back to L.A. But right before then, we were out there in New York just grinding, bro, just like trying to get beats off to the G-Unit cats and whoever else I could come into contact with. Other than that, just me and Corey in the studio. It was like right between Brownsville and Flatbush at my homie Randy's studio. Yeah. The big homie. So 
we were just cooking up every day, bro. Just like learning and really just like getting to the point that I am now. That was like school. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Were there any clubs that you like remembered or anything about that New York experience? I'm sure now it's great because you come back a superstar and just the the rope opens up and you know you're treated like you're supposed to but i wonder even then even though it probably wasn't the same were there any spots or stuff that you remembered going out or were you just guys just like in the lab and just we went out a few times i feel like but it would always be to like meet up with whatever artists and meet up with whoever i've never been like a a clubber type guy that just happened because of the music trying to get the music out there yeah but we were mostly just studio heads. It's funny because your music is like some of the most like set the club off music ever. And the article in this thing, I think the first line of it is, Ty Dollar Sign is the life of the party. As Ty says, it took many years to become an overnight success. From my vantage point, the DJ who suddenly had a wealth of Ty Dollar Sign club bangers in his crate, it sort of seemed like he'd come out of nowhere. But he had been hustling away for years, tucked away in studios, freezing his ass off in New York winters, working away with little to show for it. Sometimes being around some OGs and learning things, but doing all those things you have to do when you're coming up, honing the craft. In this case, he was shedding the excess fat around his production so that the moment the stars aligned and he had that first run, he was able to hit it hard. I figure it took me about 10 years banging away at it till my first pseudo hit, Uwe, and about four more till I did anything that really resonated. And that whole time while I was honing my craft, I'm sure I thought I was ready. I'm sure I was looking around at the Neptunes, Kanye, Danger Mouse, all of them going, damn it, why not me? But looking back, of course I wasn't ready. I wasn't even good enough. But you don't see that at the time. Now I realize all those thousands of hours in the studio, they all helped in some way. They all form you. Plus, luck is what happens when preparation meets opportunity. Is that the saying? All those records, those near misses, the demos that didn't hit. Hell, half of it is learning what not to do. I mean, I could tell by the way this A&R guy is looking at me that this beat is corny, these drums aren't hitting. But it's not like I was ever going to be able to do anything else. I probably would have continued to toil away in obscurity, supporting myself by doing music for Gap ads and whatever else I was doing, and I would have been fine with that. You get the feeling with Ty, there was never any choice with him to do anything other than music. But he was also way too special, too unique, too talented to stay unnoticed for that long. Back after a break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. That's funny you said Venus because I, Venus Brown, shout out to Venus because I've known her for such a long time. My first record I ever produced was this girl, Nika Costa, and Venus was her MD, and I met her through that, and then I met Prince Board, and they all. Prince Board, my guy. (laughs) Yeah, Venus is very tied into the Black Eyed Peas. He was like the first person to play me the Peas and all that stuff back in the beginning. Yeah, man, shout out to V. And then Sarah as well. I didn't realize the connection there. I mean, I remember that group when they first came out 
when I first heard them when I moved to LA, that was some of the most creative fucking mind-blowing shit. And I love the stuff you did with them on their record. Those couple songs that you had, I think they're And If and Girl, whatever, those are amazing records on there. Appreciate it, man. Shout out to Taz, Omas, Shafiq. That was around the time when, I don't know if it was before New York or right after New York. I don't even remember how I met them either. But that's also where like my friendship with Thundercat started. That's also where my friendship with Kanye started. There's so many people that came through the Sarah house, man. Yeah. They used to have a house on the top of the hill at Silver Lake. And we would always just go over there and vibe out. The whole house was just a studio. It's like how my studio room is with the drums and the roads and the whirly and yeah. all that kind of stuff. They had that in the living room and just every keyboard, every toy. And we would just make dope ass songs, man. So, And then the first time I went to London was with Timberlake. And the second time I went to London was West the Sky Tour. So they definitely, you know, plugged me in with bro and all that. What were you doing on that tour? Were they opening and then you were just with them making music or were you performing? They were opening and I was performing on the set, probably playing keys, singing, maybe a little bass with Sarah and they were opening for Yet. Yeah. I think people definitely who, who are in the know and especially out in LA are familiar with Sarah, but it was the absolute coolest thing like everybody was like oh you don't know Sarah like as if if you didn't know you were doing something wrong and they really were so creative and and still are and we're the we're the portal like you said to Kanye like there's always has to be somebody who's doing something so cool that they turn everybody else onto it but they don't quite maybe get the same recognition of the commercial thing that everybody else does but I don't mean to say they haven't done well for themselves but they really were that thing they were the weirdos that taught everybody about a lot of shit and help put every a lot of people on. Yeah, for sure. From music to fashion, a whole bunch of shit. And then after that, Taz, he had Tisa, which was like a crazy brand. I remember like when it first came out, he had those hats and Big Sean, YG. We had it on in the Tudor and Buddha video, the Tisa hats, like yeah. Tisa uh, hoodies and sweatshirts as well. So he definitely had a run and Omas, he's worked with everybody from Frank Ocean to fucking recently, who was us? I think when we did the Tyler, the creator record, mm-hmm. uh, what's your name? That was at, what's Rick Rubin's studio called? Oh, Shangri-La. That was at Shangri-La, and I feel like Omas was there too. Like, I'd just be running into the homies everywhere, yeah. and everybody's still doing shit, so. yeah. And what were you doing with Timberlake back then? You said you were on tour. That was the other time you went out to England. Were you playing with him? Venus, him, and Will had a company together, and me and Corey were signed to that company. Okay. Because that was my very first tour in, in the UK. Even though I'm English, I kind of spent most of my life really growing up in America, and then I had my first single the single with ghostface and nate dog called Uwe that sort of popped off in england it really didn't do too much yeah you had a song with nate dog that's fire bro yeah um there's one person that i wish i could have the chance to have worked with for sure yeah i'd never been back to england except to visit my dad and my uncles like once a year and this we have this song that's kind of blowing up and they're like all right you're going to go open for Justin Timberlake for two weeks like on the justified tour these like huge fucking arenas and 
I didn't even know what a tour manager was. So I took my best friend from school, Daniel. I'm like, do you know how to drive a car on the left side of the road? He's like, yeah. So we like get to England and we like drive up to the stage door of some huge arena in Manchester with like two turntables. My buddy Rhymefest and I'm like, where do we set up? Like we look like such idiots. We no idea. Yeah. You know Rhymefest? Hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so Rhymefest was on my record i needed an mc and he was great and we were making music together i was like come to england with me so we opened up for justin Timberlake. but i mean literally the first show we had no idea what we were doing we were carrying turntables on stage in front of a pack the arena's already packed because they're teeny boppers they get in at like 5 p.m we're like setting up like it's a house party anyway but he was very cool and obviously that justified era was like a great time to be watching that show it was you know senorita and all that shit um, yeah, Rhymefest, I've been a fan of him, but one time Kanye had us at Bon Iver, Bon Iver his yeah. house up in, I think it's like Wisconsin or something like that. And Rhymefest was over there and we had a great time, man, just making music, cracking jokes and shit. But I fuck with that dude for sure. Yeah, he's so smart. You know, he found the record for Jesus Walks and he was the one that brought the thing and it was actually his record and it was originally the you know two rhyme fest verses i think and kanye's just like i know you're gonna hate me but i'm gonna take this record back from you and i mean thank god he did because it's an incredible record but one of the, the best records ever <laughs> the first time i ever went to the grammys was really as rhyme fest date because he invited some girl who dropped out at the last minute he's like you want to go to the grammys because jesus walks was up for song of the year or some shit you know and i i was just like cool like i'll go to the grammys <laughs> that's hard it's funny you say the thing about nate dog because i know it's a very it's a very obvious comparison to make being on all the number of songs that you've been on and hooks and being from the west coast and stuff but i had never seen you really talk about it was he a, an influence on you or was he somebody whose music was important to you growing up yeah he made like most of the bangers of my lifetime you know what i mean yeah definitely love everything nate dog was doing clearly like obviously i feel like yeah. everybody did yeah let's say he's a heavy influence i thought about a quote when i was like looking at your whole discog and everything i remember one time we were about to go on stage at some halftime basketball game to perform the song that we had done together this song Uwe. and he kind of looked at me just as we we're about to go on stage and he's like like a little panic but obviously never panic because he's nate dog he's just always cool but he was like what's the um what's the lyric to this one again like he just looked like so many songs in his head so many classics he's about to go play some song with me that's like definitely not explosive or like an all-time thing so he like literally couldn't and then I was like, it goes like, when I step into the party, all the ladies want to know. So I told him the lyric. And he's like, oh, that's right. He's like, and then he kind of looked at me. He's like, don't worry. Like, I forget the Dre shit sometimes when I go out. Like, I have to, he was saying, like, don't worry. I don't, it's not because I'm, I'm I was about to say, if, if he's anything like me, man, fucking, I forget hella shit, bro. It doesn't matter if it's paranoid, bro, or, or not. Nah, like, if I haven't done it in a long time, yeah, I'll need to practice in the car before I fucking yeah. go in the venue or whatever. And like after like seeing Snoop show one time, he had the teleprompters out there. I'm like, yo, give me the fucking teleprompter. Yeah. <laughs> and all my shows. Yeah. For sure. The other thing that I thought that probably happened to you is I always think of this story with Pharrell and Get Lucky that he said by the time Daft Punk 
played it for him, he had no recollection of ever writing it or making it because he's so prolific and it had been a while ago and he had written it as a freestyle off the top of the dome. And he was like, when I heard it, I thought it was great, but I had no recollection whatsoever of writing that song. I'm sure that you've probably turned on the radio or heard a song play and had to go like, wait, how did I write that one? Or where did that happen? Has that happened to you? Yeah, that's happened a few times. And then uh, what's even crazier is sometimes like my manager hit me and be like, yo, some artists, I've never heard of them, but some artists or sometimes it's known artists and they'll have a feature from me. And I'm like, I didn't fucking do a feature with this person, but somehow maybe I did a song with a producer or whatever. And this producer got in with this artist and has my vocals. And then I clear them. Sometimes I don't. yeah but that's just crazy yeah i also i'm not gonna ask you this because people ask me and i'm like why would i ever tell you like when i'm doing an interview like is there anybody you wouldn't work with or this kind of thing but what does a record have to do to you or what does an artist have to do to you to to be on the hook like does a song does it just have to move you do you have to just hear it and you just kind of know right away or because you like somebody what they're about for me the song just has to make me feel something when I turn this shit on in the first 15 seconds, I have to feel it. And then the words will come. Sometimes it'll be like an artist that is like really fucking sick. And I'll want to take my time though, mm-hmm. because like they killed it so hard that I'll be like, oh, hold on. Let me like, mm-hmm. it's going to take me a couple of days. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But a lot of the times it's just like, if it makes me feel something right then and there, then I'll do it. If it doesn't, then I'll just pass it up. Judging by that, are you always beat first? Like you hear the music and it spurs you? Or will you just be driving along sometimes and a melody or a lyric idea will come to your head and then you got to rush to the studio and put some chords? I feel like in the beginning, even how I listened to music as a kid, I was always beat first. Because like I'll listen to some of these classic songs and I'll know the full melody but I won't know the words because I was never listening to the words. And then now I feel like I listen to words a lot more and I'm starting to see the importance of that. As someone who started off on the drums, I do completely relate to Ty when he says he started off as a beat first type of artist. I mean, that is the hip hop way in some respect. We say banger because it's shorthand for the beat, the drums banging, even if now banger just means a hit. But I also think Ty's underselling himself when he thinks he hasn't contributed some generational lyrics into the game. Even his song titles, Paranoid, Loyal, they're iconic. I mean, they might not be You've Got a Friend, but they're some equivalent of that for this era. They're memorable, conceptual, catchy as hell, and I'm sure they've launched at least a few hundred thousand memes. It's also not surprising that Ty's love for the greats propels him, makes him want to continually up his game. There are countless musical programs at conservatories and universities for studying classical music. But what do you do if you want to improve your chops as a contemporary R&B composer? Well, there's not a lot of courses for that. So you study the greats. You pick apart the chord progressions of Stevie Wonder and Patrice Russian, and you try and understand what makes them so melodically and harmonically rich. And then you combine it with your own thing, of course. Something new and from now that guarantees you're more than just a museum piece. It did always used to make me bristle when people call me the retro guy because everybody wants to be of their own time, myself included. I do love the musicality, the musicianship and the sonics of some past eras, but I also want to be 
fucking banging out of the cars and the clubs and on the Spotify hits playlist. Ty's studying of the classics is in his music. But from the lyrics to just the way he is, he's unmistakably now. I'm trying to be a better songwriter, so I'm listening to like all the, the great songs, the greatest songs. And, and that's how it is for me. It used to be beat in all production and all like, how can you make the best yeah. sounds? But now, like, now I want to know what people are talking about and I want to talk about something. Yeah. Is that carrying into what you're doing right now, the records that you're working on? Yeah, for sure. Right now, I just dropped that uh, Cheers to the Best Memories with Division. Yeah. That's great, by the way. I love that. Thank you. I appreciate it. We were definitely like going in just trying to like be the best that we could be and make the best R&B records and give the people a real vibe. And so now after that, I'm doing that with all my other music as well. And just trying to say the craziest, tightest shit that means something, you know? Yeah. When you talk about, because you talk about old school influences, Earth, Wind & Fire and stuff, and we talk about like, the greatest songs it always makes me want to ask you like even more specifically like when you say the greatest songs do you mean does that mean something as like old school as like fats domino and burt Backrack? are you talking about michael and stevie or sublime like is it just anything that you consider like a great classic song that's kind of just going to be on the radio in 50 years from now yeah it's like whatever classic song that's going to stand the test of time so we can go back to 50 shit, 60 shit, 70 shit, whatever. It's just the songs that are going to last. And I feel like when I was listening to shit just for the music, those weren't the songs that are going to last forever. I might know about them and they yeah. might be my jams. Those are incredible beats and that's incredible production. I'm falling in love with all these different producers. But like the songs I feel like that last forever are those ones that had those words that connected yeah. to the people. Yeah, I mean, and that's what in Loyal and Paranoid, I mean, those are classic in a different way because they're how people speak today. It's not like a Celine Dion record, but like they're they're great concepts. I, f I feel like you're probably already doing it more than you give yourself credit for because you seem like a pretty, like, uh, you're not like fully up your own ass like that, but yeah. <laughs> Thanks, I, man. I, I think also because of the, the Stevie shit, you must have a Stevie Wonder story because I just, I know Stevie like I don't really know him that well firsthand. He's played harmonica on one song from a, a record I did, but like I know he's so in touch with hip hop and new music, and like I've heard stories from like Wale that Stevie will just pull up outside the House of Blues before the show and like bring him in the car. Like you must have a Stevie story. I saw Stevie play at uh at my boy Nipsey's funeral, and that was like one of the most beautiful moments ever in life. But yeah. beyond that, my little sister and his daughter are best friends. And recently I saw Stevie at this studio that I use in North Hollywood because everybody came in there like, yo, Stevie's out there. So I went outside and I didn't talk to him. I climbed up. But I don't know. It's just certain. Uh, he's like one of the only people that I haven't got in the studio that I would super love to get in yeah. like ASAP. Stevie and BTS. Yeah, or Stevie and BTS. Yeah. I, I, I imagine Stevie, because I've seen some of the people that he's also dipped in the studio with like in the past few years, and there's people that's way less talented or like on your level, so I'm sure it's something you could realize even more. But I know what you, what you said about clamming up, because when he played on my record, 
I didn't have any contact. I just sent him the instrumental and I played a little melody on the moog of the of the melody that I imagined on the harmonica. And it could, took maybe a while, a couple of months to come back, but I couldn't believe it when I when it came in my inbox, just like that ding, like mail thing. And I looked over, it could have been fucking spam, anything. It said Stevie Harp Session. And it was one of the greatest moments of my life. But anyway, I went to his show in Toronto a couple of weeks later and I waited backstage because they were like, you can come back and you'll come and meet him. And just at the minute that I, he was probably about to come backstage, I just left because he's the one person I wouldn't know what to do or what to say. Maybe I'd be a little better with it now, but... I, I just, I couldn't, what could I say? Like, I might burst out crying. Like, there's somebody whose music has moved me so much and had such an influence that, and who's such a magical person. I just, I couldn't do it. I clammed up as well. Yeah, I just felt like I didn't want to be, I didn't want to, like, get in his space without, like, yeah being introduced. You yeah. know what I mean? And, like, I just wanted it to be the right way. So, yeah. Hopefully, I get that chance soon. You will. I'm just saying it. Um, that Steve and BTS, his BTS, has that happened or is that that's on the way? That hasn't happened yet, but it's on the way, I'm sure. Yes. Okay, so just back to this Fader thing for a second and that moment and, like I said, the thing being the life of the party, you know, at that moment, it was before Free TC came out. And, I mean, I guess it must have been fun being the life of the party a little. Like, I'm not asking you to spread a lot of salacious stories and stuff, but it seemed like at that moment that it was really, like, popping off. Like, let's see. This looks like fun. If, like, every night that's the show and the crowds are just going nuts. Like, it just looks like... It looks like at that moment, and still, but that was really, like, everywhere you went. It was just, like, people were so fucking lit. You had all the biggest songs of that year. Was that... um? Was that a fun time? Is that a dumb question? Yeah, it's kind of dumb. But yeah. uh, <laughs> we uh, definitely had a lot of fun. I definitely miss it. The fucking, I'm sure the uh, quarantine for everyone had to yeah. like fuck everyone's lives up. Yeah, man, that was definitely a fun time. And I can't wait to get back on stage, man. Yeah. So then Free TC comes like a year later and suddenly... I'm sure you knew that you had a lot to offer musically, but then suddenly everybody realizes like, oh, this isn't just the guy that makes like the big turnout records. This is like a real album artist. And it was, you know, top of the list, New York Times, Rolling Stone and stuff. Did you feel like you had anything to prove on it? Or did you just know, sometimes you just know, like they're going to find out eventually and I'm just going to do the thing that I do and everyone's going to realize like, you know, that I'm great. I, I had been making music for a while, like I said, but it was my first opportunity to get a record out to the masses with a real situation. I had signed to Atlantic Records, which was a dream. I remember when I first found out that my deal was done, I ran from my apartment in Hollywood all the way to the top of the hill at the <laughs> observatory in Griffith Park, just wow. ran wow. on foot. Like, wow. So it was definitely like a time so grateful for it and so much has happened since then and you know there's more to come for sure yeah well of course like do you can we talk about your brother because he's such a big part of that record and i was wondering if if like you had even more not to prove in a way but there was more riding on it because it just really is linked to like your commitment to bringing awareness to his situation and just being like this is his record like one of my favorite things is the thing on soundcloud where you're talking through 
you're telling him the track list for the first time. Like that shit is fucking beautiful to me. Thanks, man. Shout out to my bro. He's still in the situation. Through that record, I felt like we were able to get, first of all, the word out for his situation. And plus, like, we've met a whole bunch of people that I feel like have us in a better place mm -hmm. to help him with this case. Is there still some light at the end of the Is it, uh, I guess, because the last thing I saw was the doc that you made in 2016, where obviously you're talking about how his parole was denied then, but is there some light at the tunnel? Is some good things happening? I hope so. There's always some light at the end of the tunnel, for sure. You know, we're going to just yeah. keep on working on it. Yeah. So we can I, I love also, I mean, he's got such a great voice, and I was thinking like, I'm sure with Pro Tools and Studio Trickery, there are ways, but I was like, how is he recording these parts from prison and they're ending up on the record and they're like, he's keeping perfect time and like pitch and all this stuff. And I was curious, how did he record his stuff down the phone or was he able to send you like voice recordings and stuff? It was just on the phone, just a regular phone conversation. Wow. And then uh, from my engineers to D-Mal, the producer, d is one of the greatest in the world, so he was able to just put it together. Shout out to Bro, shout out to d -Mal. Yeah. Can't wait to get back in the studio. Bruno is... Mars took him away from me. I know, I saw that. <laughs> I saw that. He's doing pretty good with Bruno, he's, but he's he's a very talented producer. Is it is that how you pronounce it, d -Mal? d -Mal, yeah. Okay, Bruno, we need you to lend d -Mal back for a little bit. Um, come on, bro. Come on, Bruno. I read you say something that... Your brother then, because there was so much light around the record and this kind of stuff that then he kind of got in trouble because there was so much, you know, about his you bringing publicity to his case and him getting all this attention from the records that he was placed in, like, solitary or something from it? Is that what happened? Yeah, he became a celebrity in the prison and had everybody hyped. Yeah. So then, of course, I guess the people's got jealous and wanted to teach him a lesson. Yeah, of course. You know? But you were able to make music still afterwards, and he he's still been able to make some of his own records. I take it that like it's it's become a little bit easier for him, or I, I hope it is. I'm I'm not sure. I'm, right, I'm not sure how it is. Um, it's got to be stressful. About that, when you're talking about the tracklist, even hearing some of the names that you mentioned, like just took me back when you said Battle Cat. Like I just instantly thought I was like, wow, I just forgot that. Um, Ghetto Jam by Domino is just like fucking one of the greatest records. So slept on. I don't know. Dude, was that... You were uh, younger than I that was. That was a major one. That, that was, was a major one in LA. When I was incredible. A kid, for sure. Domino had DM'd me one time and we talked about like Lincoln, but we just never linked. But I always loved Domino, his voice, his music. And of course, Battle Cat is one of my biggest inspirations. I've been working with Battle Cat for years. Hell yeah, man. And then also you talk about Patrice Russian, who's in that. That's like just one of my all-time favorites. Like I think, I mean, it's not like she slept on because she's made forget-me-nots and hits, but Settle for My Love and Remind Me, like those are some of the greatest like R&B just jams like ever to me. Yeah, uh, Patrice Russian's one of my favorites as well. Patrice Russian was a young piano prodigy who, in her teens, made a few groovy, obscure instrumental jazz funk albums on Fantasy Records. 
but she fully burst into pop consciousness with the all-timer Forget-Me-Nots, a song that will be played at parties, weddings, and in supermarkets for the rest of time. She had a number of great R&B records that performed respectably after that and went on to score Beverly Hills Cop, and she's now a professor at USC, but her outsized influence on hip-hop and R&B is really immeasurable. Album cuts like You Remind Me and Settle For My Love have been sampled by everyone from Biggie and Aaliyah to Mary J. Blige to A. Marie and Slum Village. And the underground disco classic Haven't You Heard is a club DJ favorite and gets remixed into a new house banger basically every few years. There's something in her songcraft, musicianship, and sound of her records which makes her so beloved by hip-hop artists and producers. It's deep, soulful, funky. I mean, please check out You Remind Me. It's as much a predecessor to G-Funk as anything by George Clinton. It's always fun when you meet another DJ, producer, or just a music lover and you start talking about someone like her, someone slightly lesser known because it's like a secret club. Oh, right, yeah, you got that too. And it's also how we raise our game, studying these lesser known giants. I had to sample one of her songs on my first album, Free TC. And at first, when uh, they tried to get the record clear and she heard it, she wasn't going to clear it. So I knew my dad was friends with her. So I asked him to try to get her to clear it. So he called her and she just asked me to, you know, make it clean, change yeah. change all the uh, crazy shit. So yeah. I did it and then it came out. So shout out to Patrice. Thanks yeah. for clearing that. She's a genius. She's a legend. I hear she uh, a professor at USC now, just teaching young people about you know music and shit. So let's yeah, so it's crazy. Actually, I signed this artist, King Princess. To I have this label, and she's done really well. But she was a freshman in the USC program, and she was telling me when I first met her, just before we signed her, she's like, "Yeah, my teacher is Patrice Russian," and I was like, "I, I kind of was like, oh my god, do you know who that is?" And I'm, sh- you know, she knew that Patrice Russian was somebody. But when King Princess got signed to us and then to Sony, and she was like, "I'm gonna leave school." I remember thinking to myself, like, oh, no, like, Patrice Russian is going to fucking hate me because Patrice Russian was like, I think it's a bad idea for you to leave school in the middle of your programming and or learning. And I was like, oh, no, like, Patrice Russian, who I've, like, looked up to my whole life, like, now I'm, like, dragging one of her students, like, out of the uh, school thing or whatever. <laughs> but, um, yeah, she was going to do what she was going to do. Right. I, <laughs> we talked about it a little bit earlier. To pronounce it. Mai Tai, the Jeremiah. Yeah, Mai Tai, that was on. Yeah. Yeah, Mai Tai. Yeah. yeah. I love it. Mai Tai it's... happened from uh, working with Hitmaker. Okay. And I would just go over there. Jeremiah would always be over there. We would just make songs. We had one song together, then we have two songs, and all of a sudden we had like 40 songs together. Then it was like, you know what, we might as well drop. So we put together that one like really quick. It was just like, I go in the booth, he goes in the booth. And that accumulation of songs we put out. Yeah, especially for me, because when I started DJing in the mid '90s, like it was like Puffy, that whole era, Bad Boy, the Mary J stuff. Like I just have such a. As soon as I hear that, it's like a warm blanket. Like I love. And then you guys did that and obviously updated it, but that was just such a great. I imagine that sound originally the first time when it came around. You were pretty young, but that was a big influence. Yeah, for sure. I, I just love music and I feel like when I taught myself how to play bass and guitar and keys, 
I would just listen to radio or listen to whatever I could get my hands on and try to learn it. So all of that stuff and all that time that I put in to all of that, I feel like it applies to the music I do now. Yeah. Also, like, I guess you work with so many other different producers, but you're such a great producer yourself. You know, the first thing that you came really on the scene with Tooted and Booted, you, you produced it. So would you see yourself doing a whole record where you kind of produced the whole thing it, well yeah like i guess it was just like a self-contained thing like where you just kind of like could take care of it i mean i don't i don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing i just does it something that you have any desire for man i would say i do that shit like every other month bro yeah <laughs> make a whole album not drop you know just for myself but i'm super like picky and super like i don't know man spontaneous just like I'll probably drop one one day for sure. The last thing is I'd love to ask because I just, from reading all the interviews with you from 2014 on, you talk so beautifully about your daughter and it's almost like I almost see like what she's into and how she's growing up from like how old she is in the, you know, in the beginning, she's coming to visit you at the house. Then you talk about her starting to get into music, play a little keys. And I was wondering what she's, where she's at now, like in her phase of like music, is she making music? Are you, is she yeah, just... she's a she's a basketball player now. No way. She's sixteen. She's driving. It's crazy, man. How how fast life will just pass you by. You know. Yeah. She's a uh, still killing it though with her her grades. Straight A student. Haven't ever had any real issues with it. Praise God. So such a perfect daughter yeah are you a perfect dad you sound like a good dad but in the articles you sound like a just like a, a really like you just you're there which is good i would say i'm a pretty good dad man yeah. i'm learning every day yeah this is a new chapter for me the the 16 year old you know but uh i'm learning every day and i'm focused and uh we're doing it yeah i can't wait to get there i mean you know inshallah right but right well, dude, thank you so much for taking this time out to talk, and it's great, and I really hope that we do get to link some point. Yes, sir. Um, yes, sir. Let's do it. I'll hit you before I maybe try and find you before I come out to L.A. next. Yes, let's lock in for sure, bro. Okay. Don't cap. Okay, absolutely. All right. Cool, See peace. Thank you, OG and Hook Lord, Ty Dollar Sign. That was a blast. Take me out with the faith. Thanks again to Ty Dolla Sign for taking the time to talk with us. A special Fader thank you to our Grammy and Oscar award-winning host, Mark Ronson. Please visit thefader.com slash podcasts to read the original cover story and check out a playlist of artists mentioned in this episode. If you like the show, please share it and review us on your favorite podcast app. Please join us next Monday to find out which of your favorite artists will be uncovered next. Executive producers Rob Stone and John Cohen for the Fader Podcast Network. Talent booking Robert English. Producers Alex Robert Ross and Maddie Russell Shapiro. Directed by Daniel Nevetta and produced by the Fader in association with BYT.NYC. Engineered and mixed by David Rogers Barry. Theme music by DJ Premier. For Fader Uncovered merchandise, please visit shop 
www.thefader.com. Thanks, and see you next week.